HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it. What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just, it's, there's nothing like it. You yeah. know, there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand, because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Trinity Muzon Wofford, founder of Gold, the gorgeous tonic powders that you can add to water, smoothies, coffee, nut milk, my guess is alcohol, Yes. if you want to. <laughs> um, I'm so happy you're here today. I feel like since we started trying to plan the date for you to come on, I just see those packages <laughs> everywhere. Like, I don't know if it's, it, they just, I feel like they're exploding kind of in front of me. Oh, um, and that's amazing. So welcome Trinity. Thank you. Really glad to be here. Um, I always like to start off with a little bit, instead of launching right into your brand and how you designed <laughs> your logo. Like what were you like as a kid? Where did you grow up? Yeah. Were you a food person? Were you a brand person? Did you like, you know, uh, 
turmeric. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I grew up in a small city in upstate New York, Saratoga Springs. I know it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, So grew up there and was raised by um, a single parent who was dealing with an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. So my mom has rheumatoid arthritis and um, my family up there, we had always been sort of pretty open to the world of holistic Alternative, health. Yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, it was kind of a crunchy town at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much all of my family members wore Birkenstocks, right. you know? Um, and so we knew about that side of it, but um, it wasn't until many years down the line when my mom first started seeing a more holistically minded physician for her mm-hmm. RA that I was really opened up to the the power of holistic medicine and health and how it can really alter the course of your life. Right. Um, so prior to seeing the holistically minded physician, she was uh, on disability, really not able to lead a full life. And after seeing this doctor that put her on all these different alternative treatments, mm-hmm. she was leading a actually remarkably normal life. Wow. It was night and day. That's amazing. It was... Was it mostly like herbs and supplements yeah. or was it a, and diet, I would imagine? Or? It was, yeah, it was all of those things. And then it was also um, working with a physician that knew how to use different prescription medicines, oftentimes off-label in ways right. that were beneficial to what her system needed. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, if I knew it off the top of my head, I would mention it because it was so interesting. Right. Um, but there are different ways to treat um, autoimmune diseases. Right. Right, sure. that aren't necessarily just kind of like, how do we lower the inflammation? Right. Um, so she saw wonderful results from that. That's so cool. Yeah. And I was in high school at the time and mm-hmm. that really inspired me. And I decided that I wanted to be a doctor too. Right. Um, and I was going to be a holistic physician. And so um, I went down to NYU for college mm-hmm. and was pre-med there and was super excited about this vision. <laughs> Um, but ultimately found a few years into college that my mom had had to stop seeing this doctor because she could not afford it. Right. Um, once you go on to the more holistic side of things, of course. It's right. Yeah. Insurance doesn't cover it. And, and so I had this moment of reckoning as I was like getting ready to, you know, take the MCATs mm-hmm. of, okay, am I going to either practice holistic care for the community that can comfortably afford that? Or am I going to try to upend the U.S. medical insurance industry, (laughs) which was super appealing to a 21-year-old? Yes. Um, So after I graduated with a psych degree, like every other pre-med person that wanted something that wasn't as hard as bio. Right. (laughs) Um, And so didn't really know what to do with myself. Um, And I fell into a career in marketing in the city. Okay. Yeah. Because you were... I mean, what what made you even interview in the first place for that job? Oh, my God. Honestly, I was asking around friends of what I should do with my life at this point. And um, I... I had heard that startups were cool. Uh-huh. You know, this was like <laughs> right. at the time where that was an interesting thing to do. And so that appealed to me. Right. Um, I mean, at the time, I was also applying to like consulting jobs yep. and just I, I, I cast a wide net. Right. Um, I truly mean that I did fall into it. It wasn't particularly strategic. Right. Um, so I, I started at this um, startup. It was a, a tech startup in mm-hmm. the city. Um, I started there as the lowest rung um, sales employee. Perfect. Cold emailing, 
uh, phone calls. It was all very painful for me. <laughs> right. That sounds very riveting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it could have been a more fun type of startup, but tech is like, yeah. 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 All right. Anywho. Yeah. And did you start playing around with turmeric in your kitchen kind of thing? Or yeah. You... So going back to that side of it, um, right. ever since I had that moment, I, you know, throughout college and, and after graduation was very interested in these sort of natural wonders. Right. I remember when I was an RA at NYU, mm-hmm. um, when like one of my kids got sick, I would like throw like oil of oregano at them. <laughs> right. Like, come to think of it, I shouldn't have been administering medical care maybe not but it's safe now so we can talk about it natural it's better than like you know here's some cocaine right right? that could have been bad of the things that i could give exactly children so right so i was always uh in that world i remember i was voted um holistically helpful in college because i was the person constantly throwing remedies your way that's great um so yeah i had that long time interest in um holistic health and and then i think the the final piece that was was happening alongside all of that mm-hmm. was um, I met my boyfriend who is is now my co-founder. Oh, yeah. nice! <laughs> so we met. We in- should have a whole other podcast oh. about that because yes. that's got to be tricky sometimes too. I would think tricky, but also wonderful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have so many feelings right. about that. Okay. I, I, if we have time, I want to yes. talk about it. We'll but, reserve a few minutes. Um, we met in high school. Oh. We were both. Uh, pre pre med right and um, so we met that way his so um, Issei his family owns a, a candle company upstate perfect and so we always had that window into entrepreneurship yep. and production and, and logistics yes and, right the not fun stuff yes so we always had that window into it right um, and so I think all those things came together right to make sense that's of it. very cool and then the actual first batch yeah I mean how did it were you just playing around and yes you know how did it go from that to now I'm putting it in a bag and did the bag that you first put it into look like the gorgeous one that's (laughs) out there now like what was that like yeah so we decided that we wanted to start a wellness company um we decided on turmeric specifically Mm -hmm. because um as our first hero product Um, because my mom had been using it for her RA mm-hmm. and had seen a big difference. And so I started playing around with it and found it was just incredible. Yes. And we found that it would be a really great way to put a wellness product out on the market that wasn't so complicated yeah. to create. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, the, the first iterations were truly um, Issei and I in our Williamsburg apartment, mm-hmm. mixing up spice blends and tasting them. And, and playing with them. Like, how do you make it so that they don't just like the powder doesn't glop up yeah. to the top and like a little cloud of powder? Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it was just a lot of trial and error months right. and months and months. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when we, I rem- I can visualize it right now. We put them into these ugly little foil, like single serve, um, packets that yeah. you just like zip locked clothes. Right. And I remember I wrote OG and Sharpie on it because it was for original gold, <laughs> right. the name of our first product. And I would just hand these out to people and see if they cared. Yeah. No, um, that's how, I mean, that's kind of how like, Cliff started. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, he, I mean, the guy who started Cliff Bar, literally Mm -hmm. his mom was a baker. He made some bars 
he went to a race or a meet or whatever athletic oh people go to. Right. And he just was like handing them out <laughs> just to see yeah. if, because, you know, and they did. I mean, yeah. that's kind of the, that's kind of the way you got to do it because, yeah. you know, those mistakes early on save you a lot of money later on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I, I feel like there's so much pressure all of a sudden with the, the rise of like these VC backed companies yep. that just appear yep. that there's this assumption that businesses just show up and they're successful. Right. I think that's one. actually, a, I, I, we will talk about that after, but I also just think it's a great point to make now. And just in case I forget to turn around and yeah. get back to it, <laughs> I, I think that they do show up overnight mm-hmm. and they do have millions of dollars to spend. But what they don't do is they don't build a very strong core audience yep. early and so they can continue to throw money at it. And in some cases, they're too big to fail. Yeah. But I think in a lot of cases, if you don't have that core consumer and you don't know who they are and know what they need and know where they live and all of that stuff that we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the, the, it'll, you'll read a lot about them and you'll read how much money they've raised oh, and yeah. you'll see them everywhere. But I don't know that people are really that connected to the brands. You know, I'd yeah. say the opposite with you. Like there's a visceral connection for people <laughs> that love your powders. Yeah. How did you know, when did you know it was a business and when did you actually put it into these beautiful bags? Yeah. So, uh, the packaging came early. Um, we had a, and very, the name came early. Yeah. The, the name, all of that. Thank you. All of that came together, um, quite quickly. Uh, we were on a mission. We knew that what we wanted to do was take this experience of ingestible wellness and make it way more consumer friendly. Right. Um, I felt that, and I still often feel that wellness is is still divided into one of two camps, where you've either got the ultra crunchy right, granola like the stuff, hippie, yeah, old yep. school, or <clears throat> you've got what's coming out in response to that, which right. tends to be so ultra luxe yep. and unattainable yeah. to the average consumer. I think that's super true. I mean, I was I was on Amazon looking at turmeric powders. And there's just, there's, you know, sort of like a lot of these ancient-y, organic-y, yeah. Ayurvedic-y type yeah. of things. And then on the other end of that, you have sort of like the Instagram brands of, mm-hmm. you know, very kind of 2018, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, and, it's, and there really doesn't feel like there's that much in between there. So it's really cool that you're sort of like gunning for that space. Yeah. I really just looked at the challenge that I was trying to solve for myself. And that's why I think that part of it actually came quite easily for us. Right. Um, So with the packaging, we didn't have any money and we had no skills to speak of. So we, uh, we, we uh, recruited a friend of ours who Mm -hmm. was a designer to help us put together the design. And um, from there, we taught ourselves, well, rather I should really say Issei taught himself, how to become a like full service designer, right. photographer. It's amazing. And so now everything that we do is is 100% in-house. Awesome. Um, and to get to your question as far as it's when it really became a business, yeah. I think we knew early on that we wanted to sell powders on a website and see what happened. Right. But we had no idea how quickly that would scale to retail presence. Yep. Um, these things started to flow in inbound yeah, and we just sort of started to have to catch up. Yeah. And that is actually a really great place to leave off when we take a break because 
It's almost like be careful what you wish for a little yeah. bit because there becomes a little bit of a capacity issue when mm-hmm. the good news is people want you. Yeah. The trouble then becomes keeping up with the demand. Yeah. So we'll talk about that when we get back from the break. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave-Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Mon, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dana Cowan, and I'm the host of Speaking Broadly here on HRN. Every week, I conduct intimate interviews with the brilliant, powerful women in the food world. We discuss their lives, their careers, and the ways in which they navigate the world at large. You can find Speaking Broadly wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm back with Trinity from Gold, um, and we were just talking about how you knew you had a business when you started getting inbound from yeah. retailers. We want your we want your pouches. Yeah, um, and so I I want to talk a little bit about because you know as I was saying before the show, um, I would think it would be sort of this like amazing opportunity to be able to sell in health food stores and in Mm -hmm. supermarkets and also in Sephora eventually. You can sell in cafes Mm -hmm. or you can sell in spas. I mean, in a way, it seems like you can almost sell these things everywhere. That being said, that probably has challenges also. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of wanted to hear how you think about all these different sort of channels what you're focused on and when does it become, you know, when does it tilt into like, okay, great little cafe in fill in the blank city. Mm -hmm. Honestly, you're not probably going to sell all that much of it. It's probably going to end up being logistically sort of challenging. Mm -hmm. Have you said no? When do you say no? You know, all of those questions. Yeah, I mean, so one of the benefits of leading the charge in this category of ingestible wellness is, of course, that we got a lot of those inbound uh, inquiries quite early on in Mm -hmm. our our business's life cycle. Uh, But the challenge is that you are also, um, you know, forging the path ahead. And it's on you to educate the consumer and the buyer around where does it go? Exactly. What do you do with it? What is this? What really is? I understand it's a powder, but is this food? Is it beauty? And when you're bridging multiple categories, it does get tricky. Um, We've been really thoughtful with our wholesale distribution strategy thus far. Mm -hmm. 
we partner with a lot of independent retailers and we're super proud to do that because we're a small independent brand. Right. So we like to have those relationships and we often find that um, those retailers can be some of our strongest ones for sure because they're the most engaged with that consumer education piece, yep. which is huge. Yep. Uh, we've launched in massive retailers and found that they are, you know, retailing our product next to like gummy bears because right. it's edible. Yeah. And yikes. the consumer doesn't understand. And, you know, there's, there's um, sort of too many. Uh, you're too far removed from the buyer right. to really have that conversation about how to build education yeah. and awareness. It does kind of go back to, you know, starting in a core yeah. and then growing out from there. And yes. your best representatives are not going to be, you know, the guy at fill in the blank big store. Yeah. Your best representative is going to be my friend. Carrie Lynn yeah. at CAP or, you know, who's going to know what's in there and be able to speak to it and talk exactly. to it and get her, her guests to really understand it. It makes sense. Yeah. So I think it was valuable for us to have that tactic. And, um, we've been kind of mostly has, beauty. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've been hesitant to step too far into the grocery side of things because we don't want to define gold as a food brand. Mm -hmm. And with it being edible, it's very hard to right. make that a clear, um, delineation. We've also made sure to not sit on too many sort of typical supplement shelves. Right. Because that's getting a little crowded too. Yep. And I feel like that's also a very hard place to sort of, you know, if you're priced a little higher, let's say, mm -hmm. than a generic something, the people that are just like looking at the supplement shelf might not necessarily know how to make that value distinction. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you won't see us on the shelves of like whole body right, right. now. Um, I never say never and, and yeah. we're very open-minded and I'm not overly precious about right. where our product is stocked right. because in the end, my number one goal is to make sure Getting that our product is where our customer is. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if she's in whole body looking for gold, you know, turmeric blends, then hey, Right. You know, anything can happen, but that's really been our strategy. But um, and what about coffee shops? I mean, I yeah. you know we make our own turmeric blend, mm -hmm. but there are plenty of people, and a lot of even I mean even wholesale like they'd like to. We take Four Sigmatic for mm -hmm. instance, yeah, and we make our hot cocoa, which is like their mushroom hot cocoa uh -huh. with reishi, and we do steamed oat milk and yum. I mean, we would never we would we would just never make ground reishi <laughs> powder. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I feel like there's also that sort of food service for food service opportunity <laughs> for you also. Is yeah. that interesting or not? So really? it's something we do. Um, we have a few cafes that we work with. Um, I think there we are definitely a little bit more tailored with who we work with. Right. Ideally it's a cafe that has retail also right. so that it's not just the product as a commodity, but you're really getting a chance to engage with the brand it's in a like cool a way. It's like a trial for it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but we have a few cafes, um, including uh, Champion Coffee throughout Brooklyn and now also in the city, which right. has been one of our oldest partners and strongest as right. well. So yeah, we it's not a massive part of our business, um, but it definitely has been a, a strong partnership that we've been able to you know keep steady. So if you had a pie chart mm -hmm. and... Let's divide it. What what ideal percent of that pie would be you selling directly? 
Such a good question. There is such an obsession with direct-to-consumer these mm -hmm. days as like the sexy alternative and the way to cut out the middleman. Um, right now, I will say that our business is about 80% wholesale. Great. So uh, let's say 20, is it 20 yeah. of it's you, right? By the way, I mean, I have my own feelings. I think they're slightly defensive because I don't <laughs> think I'll ever be a direct-to-consumer product because it's fresh. Yeah. But I think that the reason why it was so sexy, and maybe I sound like a ding-dong here, but <laughs> hear me out. I think the reason why it was so sexy for a couple of years there mm -hmm. was because it wasn't that expensive. Yes. And that cost of acquiring a consumer, you could kind of, you could kind of, it made sense because yes. what you weren't paying was like the slotting and the free mm -hmm. fills and the promo calendar. And, and so it felt like it was less expensive somehow than going through the stores. Yeah. But now... You know, first of all, it got way more expensive with yeah. Facebook. It's getting, as we speak, more expensive mm -hmm. with Instagram. Yeah. So I don't know how much less expensive it is. The argument is you own that customer. Right. But you also own all of the nightmare logistics <laughs> exactly. of dealing with that customer, which is really <laughs> not that much fun. you want to own fun. that customer? I don't know. I don't want to own that customer. <laughs> like, not if I don't have to, you know? Exactly. So I think, I mean, so... So what would be interesting, actually, is so right now it's 20%. Yeah. Do you want it to stay at 20% or would you like it to be more? It really depends on how our wholesale business develops. Right. Um, if, we de if we have a massive launch on the wholesale side and we keep it at around 80-20 because that 80% is really, really big. Right. Uh, that's great. Right. I don't, I'm not really too concerned about hitting certain uh, numbers right. from like direct to consumer versus wholesale. Right. For us, it's really just about are we where our customer needs us and right. are our margins strong enough to support In the way that place. it's exactly. Right. So let's say if 20% is you directly, do you sell on Amazon? We don't right now, uh, but I think we are going to launch, relaunch back on there soon. Yeah. I'm curious about your thoughts about that too. Yeah. Because, because do you consider them... Do you consider them, because there are a few different ways to sell on Amazon, yeah. right? There's like you kind of owning it, but they fulfill it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other way, which is they are sort of just like a customer right. and they buy from you and then they, it's yeah. their thing. Right. Do you have feelings or thoughts about those options? Are those the right options? Yeah. I mean, so we're going to play around with the fulfilled by Amazon and just see kind of what comes out of it. Previously, we had the product listed on Amazon in a very unofficial way. We were fulfilling it. I had a terrible product image on there. Right. And, you know, so there wasn't... That's free a whole science. Right. Right. There wasn't free shipping on it. And people still came and bought it. Yeah. And I was so surprised by that right. that I decided, you know what, when I have time to think about this, I'm yep. going to actually Make spend a, a little time right. on it and see what happens. So we're still so early in the testing phase that I don't think I'm comfortable saying what right. the right way to right. do it is. But the way that we've always looked at these opportunities with our brand is like, hey, try it out, see what happens. If you don't like it, you don't, if you don't want to, you know, pull customers away from your direct to consumer, right. shut it down. Right. Right. Yeah. Be, I mean, you can do that when you're yeah. young and figuring stuff out. <laughs> okay. So there's the direct and then there's the Amazon yeah. and then there's the wholesale. Yeah. And then out of the wholesale, would you say 90% of that is small beauty like smaller sort of natural beauty stores i think goop is a yeah. part of that yeah. which is probably a big one yeah goop's a big one for right. us um 
it's a lot of independence. Mm-hmm. We have a Which lot. Is so good. Yeah, we have a lot. We have a pretty nice roster of retailers, and what we find is interesting is oftentimes our best performing retailers are not in those coastal hubs of New York and LA. That's great. Yeah. Because everyone and their mother is marketing to them. <laughs> exactly. And so those consumers in those cities, they're so, I mean, we're, we're so overexposed to right. the hot new thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a very fickle customer to yep. try to hold on to. Yeah, that's true. And so I found that we have some of our strongest uh, loyalty coming from Austin, Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, cities that still have, you know, great culture and, right. and, you know. And they're in on, they get wellness. Right. They're just not necessarily flooded with it the way we are. Exactly. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, And how do you think, I mean, I know that so far you've, I mean, it sounds like you've been very thoughtful about it, but a lot of it has been incoming. Yes. Do you have a growth plan that the two of you have sat down and been like, this is how, this is how we are now. This is how we want to grow. This is, you know, are you thinking about expansion and are you thinking about it? I know you have a couple of different, like they're skews now. Mm -hmm. Um, I always talk about it as wide and deep. Yeah. You know, um, how are you thinking about growth? Yeah. So on the product side, we are definitely um, going wider, I guess, as you would say. Right. So um, I don't know which one's which. Sometimes I'm like, it just has to be vertical. You have to go both wide and deep. I don't know which one is representing anything, but. Well, I was thinking of it as um, wider, meaning totally new categories. Yeah. So we have currently the the turmeric tonic blends uh, on the ingestible side. And the next launch, the next big launch that we have coming up is actually on the beauty topical side. Great. Yeah. Well, those margins are good too. Yeah. Oh yeah, which is great. nice. <laughs> um, so, are you allowed? Is it? Are we not allowed? Oh, to we talk can talk about, about it? it. Can we talk about yes, it? Yes, we can talk about. It. They're launching soon. So. Okay. Um, yeah. So they're going to be. So we're launching two different superfood face masks. I was gonna hope they were masks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I like. I've gotten yes. past the point of trying to keep it under wraps. Yes. No, I'm it's just amazing. talking about it. Yeah. It's April. They're launching in April. Great. Um, so. Where this all came from was um, when we first launched Gold, we went back upstate for a few months because Mm -hmm. I was ready to quit my full-time job. Right. Couldn't afford to stay in Brooklyn. Our lease was up. So we went up there for like six to eight months or so and, you know, eventually needed to come back to the city full-time. So uh, we came back to Brooklyn and my skin was not having it. Right. Uh, Just constant chronic breakouts on like the lower half of my face and the scarring that would come from it. And it was incessant. And I had found that the the turmeric products had been really helpful up until then to just help maintain my skin. But once this big stressor You need to drink a lot to actually prevent it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, there was this whole new level. And so I started playing around with putting all the different powders that mm-hmm. I had around the house on my face. Yeah. And this is how these products were born. That's awesome. So are they powder and you mix them with water and yeah. then put them on or they're, they, yeah, so they're yeah. not goopy. No. Yeah. They're, they're great. They actually, so they form a gel oh. as soon as you hit, as soon as it hits water. I love that. It's very exciting. That is very, how did you, did you bring someone in to help you formulate it? Trial and error on my own face. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Just a lot of research. and <laughs> So we're going to do like a little mini launch at Havens and everyone can just yes. do face masks and, yes. and Instagram themselves. Yes. Okay. That's okay. done. Okay. okay. Um, in terms of, and it's funny because 
I feel a little bit like everyone, well, I guess that's the purpose on some level of this podcast. I feel like even if I'm talking to you, Mm -hmm. you're not making a fresh sauce, but there's something that I can learn, which is basically why I do this, right? (laughs) I mean, it's for me learning. It's also for other people learning, but I really enjoy the learning part. And one thing you said earlier was that, you know, you're sort of creating this new space. Mm -hmm. Is it food? Is it beauty? Mm -hmm. What do you do with it? You know, buyers might be like, where does it go on the shelf? Who does it go next to? Mm -hmm. How do I position this when I'm talking to customers? And actually, we have a lot of those issues ourselves Mm -hmm. because being a fresh sauce, we can't be with the other sauces Uh, because they're all shelf-stable. Of course. So there's always this question of, you know, there are three refrigerated sections, basically, in any given market. There's produce with the mm-hmm. veggies. There's dairy with the dairy. Right. And there's deli with the pickles and the hot dogs. Right. And our, you know, we sort of have to, depending on each store, it depends where we go. And yeah. it's on us mm-hmm. to say, we think we should be next to the pickles. Or, right. you know, we think we should be in the yogurt section because you already have a non-dairy something, something. Right. Um, or next to the salad dressings, even though we're not addressing. Mm-hmm. So this is all my very long-winded question of how much do you feel the onus is on you to educate not only consumers and how do you educate consumers, but also to educate buyers and how do you educate buyers? The onus is wholly on us to make sure that customers and buyers understand the product, how it should be used, why it's exciting. Um, I think that our brand is enticing and so that's what draws people in in the first place. Yes, but for sure. It's there's, beautiful. Right, but there's a big difference between seeing a cute package on a shelf and getting the customer to buy it, yep. understand how to use it, enjoy it, see the results, and then come back and buy it again. Yep, that's when you ring the bell. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I used to ring the bell when they were like, maybe I'll buy this, and then I realized success. that's not when you ring the bell. Well, yeah. small wins. Um, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I think that on our side, there's been a lot of learning as far as how to manage the education. And it's also sometimes acknowledging that a, re- a certain retailer just might not have the setup in place that's needed to educate the staff as much as they need to be educated. Right. Sometimes you have retailers that just aren't there yet. Right. And they can't, you know, as much as it's on you to provide the information and be there, it's also still on them to then take that information and disseminate it to their team. So in terms of education and information, do you go to all of the independents and you show up and you're like, here's how I talk about it here. Do you give them recipes? Do you, I mean, what do you do? We try to, uh, we're super small. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're really right now, we're actually in the process of hitting all of our New York based retailers. Very cool. Um, and then we travel to California often and so we'll try to hit those guys and then we're actually going to Austin next week. Right, great. Um, so I'm trying to hit as many as I can. Of course, we, we can't be you know face to face with all of them. But right. I've also found that social media has been a really great way mm-hmm. to keep those relationships strong as well because especially for the independents, the owner is you know on the brand's Instagram right. checking things. And so you know there's a nice opportunity for us to cross promote yep, and sure. uh, you know just like build that relationship. But yeah, we're still learning. It's it's challenging with the number of stockists that we have to yeah. try to keep it personal. Because I did look. I mean, it's it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. and I know. I mean, it's interesting because it is notably a lot. Mm. And it's also notably very 
far spread. So it's interesting because I always, after the founder of Vitacoco came on, I always Mm -hmm. now say like core, then more, Mm. which is just basically a nice way of saying like you start with the nugget and you spread out from there. But you are doing that. It's just you're not doing it by geography. Your core is like connected spiritually (laughs) as opposed (laughs) to connected by miles. Um, But that does make it more challenging to get to all of them. Yeah. And to do you have do you when you set someone up, for example, do you send them a case? But in there are cards and instructions. And like, do you have sort of like an onboarding kit a little bit if you're I think that we can do more there. Mm -hmm. Um, We definitely give them like some sort of uh, like cards and things like that that have some information. Um, But I think that there's always more that we can do to really get them feeling comfortable with the brand. But we actually just finally brought on um, a team member that's handling a lot of that side of it. So it's something that will get a little bit less on my plate. And so someone else will be able to spend a little bit more time there. And as you launch the, the masks, are they going to be, I would imagine they're like in the, it's like a case pack of six or something. Like how is it, how are they merchandised and will they be next to the big sacks of the tonics? Yeah. So right now we are going to launch the masks just on our website. Okay. Yeah. So we want to test it out. Right. See what the response Smart. is, um, and then open it up to wholesale. Um, we're also so on the wholesale discussion. We're super excited. I know you had mentioned uh, them earlier on, but we are going to be launching with Sephora next <gasps> week. Wow, that's me. Ma- <laughs> that's huge. That is huge. <laughs> that's major, major. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. so, how? Tell me about that. Yeah. Like, tell me what. That must have been a fun call to get. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they actually reached out to us almost two, like almost two years ago. Wow. We were within our first six months of being a company. Yep. Um, we were two people in an, in an apartment. Yeah. Um, and so we got an email from them saying, hey, we've already tried your product and we want to bring it in. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was like the best and like possibly also worst right. email that scary. you could receive. Yeah. Um, and and so, how many stores? So it's just online to start. Okay, which just is online. a Great. godsend. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, you can always. This is what John Lawson said last week, and it, mm-hmm. it, it's true for Whole Foods. It's definitely true for yeah. Sephora, which is like the Whole Foods of beauty. Yes. You know, you can you can make a mistake when it's in just a few stores, yep. or when it's just. But you can't make mistakes when it's global. Exactly. Right. So don't get nervous that if you don't seize, you know, if. Don't get nervous that starting small somehow is you're never going to get to the big one. Yeah. You know, you want to start in a very sort of beta way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Start small. And And so how is that? How does that work with them? Like you all say, obviously, yay, we're so excited. We can be on Sephora Mm -hmm. now. You'll swipe to them or you'll link to them. And do they also do promotion on their end? They do. What's interesting is so they don't, um, you know, things with Sephora are not guaranteed of, okay, we're launching you and therefore you're going to get X, Y, and Z. But we have had a lot of um, really strong excitement from them about cross-promotion. So we're really excited about um, a few things that are coming up on their end for the launch. But it's interesting. Sephora, um, I I have to hand it to them, out of all the big brands that Mm -hmm. we've talked to, no one else has had such 
excitement, enthusiasm, and most importantly, organization yeah, no, around how they are considering the wellness category. They know. So I was in there because I have three teenage daughters. Of course. And I, <laughs> you know, of course I was, you know, Sherpa-ing and getting <laughs> someone's thing and someone else's thing. Yeah, and $200 later. I mean, and she, <laughs> the woman was like, you know that you can get a lot of reward points for this. And I was like, I didn't because I, I'm not really their target consumer, mm-hmm. I don't think. And I'm not, I don't buy makeup right. in general. Yeah. But I was amazed at how on trend they were. They had all of the new little brands yeah. and some not so little. Yeah. I mean, they, they had them all. Yeah. They, they clearly have a team of scouts. Yes. And they clearly made a decision because I, I wouldn't have known that they were doing ingestible had I not just been in there. And I right. was like, oh, well, this is interesting that they're, they're growing into, yep. into the beauty space and not just beauty, but ingestible beauty, which is a big leap, yeah, you know, but they're very nimble for being such a big company. And I think that's what you're saying too. They have all the organizational strength, yes, but they also have this, like, they have an eye for what's new and what their consumer wants. Yeah. And that makes them a very strong partner. That's great. Yeah. So we're really thrilled to be partnering with them yeah. and, and I, yeah, I totally have to hand it to them. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. I have a couple of other questions. Okay. I, I want to be careful about the time. Okay. Let's start with what, what you know now that you wish you had known. Like <laughs> there are so many people that listen to this that are, and you and I were talking about this too. I don't know who all of you are. Yeah. Um, a lot of you have reached out, which is really nice. Um, but there are a lot of you that are listening. I can't imagine everyone is either in the throes of starting something. My guess is that a lot of people are thinking about it. Yes. And kind of the goal of this whole thing is to, if there's a way to reverse engineer something, I'm trying to give it to them. If there's a way for them to avoid a mistake I made or someone else made, Mm -hmm. I'd like them to have that, you know, quick path. Sometimes the mistakes are important for learning. Sometimes they're just a pain in the ass. So are there things that, you wish someone had said to you two years ago that you would like to say to the listeners? Well, there are endless things. Um, Can you pick one? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Or three. You can pick three. Well, I would say one very impactful thing that I often try to impart upon people that are coming to me saying, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business. Mm -hmm. What you do is so cool. Is that there is no inherent glory in entrepreneurship. No. Um, It's as messy and stressful Mm -hmm. and ugly as people often do make it out to be when they're being transparent. Um, That's not kind of like a a cheeky way to, uh, you know, downplay how cool it is. It actually is really hard. hard. And I think that one thing that I wish I saw more of as far as the promotion of entrepreneurship was the idea that it can come in so many different forms you can choose this route of going all in and you know either raising a bunch of money or bootstrapping and spending your life savings mm-hmm. or um and 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 focusing on this business or you could have a really great hobby that you love right. and yes. a steady side job yep you could have a great uh you know uh business that isn't even profitable right but it doesn't matter because you know you put the money into it that it needs to do and and you feel fulfilled by it right and so i i think that one thing i that's just often missing is this idea that is it a business yeah (laughs) right right yeah yeah no i mean i think that's a great that's a great point because Mm -hmm. i mean i i'm sure you have too i have a lot of people that come to me and what they 
all I keep thinking is that's a great idea, but the minute that it starts to get bigger, it turns into not a great idea. Yep. So keep it small. Yes. But you can keep it small as long as the numbers make sense, yeah. right? As long as it's making money or right. or it's not bleeding money. Yes. Let's put right. it that way. Right. Speaking of money, have you raised money? No. So you've just been bootstrapping. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you planning on it? No, not at the moment. So what's been really nice about the fact that we have chosen to go the mostly wholesale route mm -hmm. is that we don't have to spend $100,000 a month on Facebook ads. Right. And so yep. we are able to scale our business in a way that's much more sustainable yep. than I think a lot of these direct-to-consumer exclusive brands. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a whole... I do. I think there's a return to business practices. You know, it... It's unfortunate because apparently Henry Ford was like a, a really big time anti-Semite, which oh, is a great. bummer because <laughs> I like to quote him. And then people are like, maybe he's not the best person for you to quote. Give me the quote. So like take his like, take his like just racism yeah. out of it for a second. Yeah. He, he, he talked a lot about like before the depression, he talked a lot about speculation and he talked about how at the end of the day, if you're building a car mm -hmm. that isn't making enough money by sales of the car to pay for the next round of making cars, right. you're not really building a business. You're speculating. You're mm -hmm. you're making, you know, your people are putting money in here. Mm -hmm. I, I'm holding my hand out. Yes. I forgot that this was a podcast. <laughs> but, you know, you're basically what you're doing is you're making every round of investors more money based on an inflated valuation that isn't linked to the actual sales of the product. Right. And he said, and that will come to an end. There's always going to be sort of waxing and waning. Mm -hmm. But every time that speculation gets, you know, starts to wax, mm -hmm. there's gonna be a correction yes you know and then people who have built businesses that way lose those businesses because yep. the money isn't there mm -hmm. so his whole thing you know again take it with a grain of salt yeah was you know build businesses that are fundamentally going to support if outside money just dried up all of a sudden yeah you know and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing yeah, and I think we were able to do that because of the experience we had looking at how Issei's parents built their business. Yep. You know, they built a candle company in the 90s. Yeah. This was not the time when uh, candle companies were getting venture right. funding. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, they just, they they bought a house upstate for, I think, like $70,000 mm -hmm. in cash and lived in it. Yep. Um, and just slowly built the business over decades. Yeah, that's and amazing. I, I wish that we saw more of that. Today. Yes. I think we're going to see a little bit more of it. And I, I mean, I hope so. Mm -hmm. I think there's like a little bit of fatigue of the emperor's new clothes right. and a little fatigue of like, we're so, we're huge, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think there's just, I mean, I'm hopeful. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Okay. Two more seconds. Mm -hmm. um, uh, any books? Any oh. books that you would recommend? I honestly don't read business books. Okay. I don't know if I'm the it only person that'll say that, book. but I like to read books that are um, that are taking me a little bit out of my world because right. I'm stuck in it all the time. Yeah. And um, to be honest, I mean, the last book that I read that I really loved mm -hmm. was Pachinko. Okay. Have you read it? No. Um, it's this fantastic um, 
novel that follows multiple generations of um, Koreans who are living in Japan um, during the, the Japanese occupation of Korea. Great. And it's, it's, it was a fascinating moment for me to dive into a culture that I know very little about. Mm-hmm. Uh, my co-founder is originally from Japan, but right. it's not my culture. And, right. and so um, I like books that take me out of my yeah. world. I feel the same way. Every night I try to read either fiction or a mm-hmm. memoir. I'm trying not to read about margins. Yeah. <laughs> I think about them <laughs> enough. And the last question, um, and we didn't get to building it with a partner, partner, yeah. having your partner be your partner, but we're going to do that next season. Yeah. Last question mm-hmm. is um, your, if you had to, and I'm sure there are many, but just choose a moment in the last couple of years where you just felt like, I am aligned. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I am truly happy right now. The last time that that happened for me was a few weeks ago and we were at an event and it was going okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but this couple came up to try the product. They didn't know anything about it and they tried it and they were blown away. They kept taking more samples. One quote from them was literally, um, I can't believe this is good for me. It, it tastes too good. Yeah, that's the best. And that moment, um, was, that's that's why you do it. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I wish everyone could, you know, I wish there were smell-o-vision, but I also <laughs> wish that you could see the smile on Trinity's face Aww. right now because you're like looking thank you. Yeah, happy. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for coming today. I feel like we could talk for several more of these. Yes. Um, People who want to buy gold, mm-hmm. where should we send them? Go to your Instagram and then yeah, from go there? to gold.co. Um, depending on what date this is launching, you could also go on Sephora's website yes. to purchase there and then give us a little boost. So. Amazing! It'll be April eighth. Okay, we're launching shortly after that. Okay, so. perfect. Yeah. So if you don't, if you want to hold off and just show <laughs> Sephora like how amazing this product is, yes. wait until. April 15th and then all storm Sephora.com and yes. buy gold G O L D E. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Trinity. Thank you so much for coming. Matt. Thank you so much for being the best engineer ever. <laughs> I don't know what it would look like otherwise, but I, my guess is that we wouldn't have a show. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And um, I'll be back next week with another episode of in the sauce. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.